the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. The reality is, and, and there will be people who are non-Christians that would just totally disagree with what I'm about to say, because they may not be aware of it. But the reality is that without a personal relationship with Jesus, people are restless in this world. They don't have the kind of measured peace and rest that we have who know Christ. They think they do, and they might find their, quote, rest in certain things, but ultimately that rest is fleeting, it is unfulfilling, it is not really satisfying. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. How do you find your rest? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that finding rest in this world is temporary and fleeting. The reality is that without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we will be restless. Pastor Gary teaches you that any rest outside of Christ does not satisfy. People might try to find their rest in certain things, entertainment or vacations, but it will never give them the true rest their soul desires. Find your rest in Jesus Christ alone. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we are, and if you have been with us for very long, uh, you could probably recite my opening comments, but again, so that we frame the book of Hebrews correctly, there are key words to understanding this book, and those key words are better, superior, and greater. Better appears 11 times, superior 4 times, greater 7 times. The writer of Hebrews is making the argument throughout the whole letter that Jesus is better, superior, and greater than different things or different people because he's writing primarily to Hebrew Christians, so Jewish believers, that they would not fall into legalism or laziness and deny the truth of who Jesus is. So he's encouraging them. You know, look, stay true to the faith. Don't fall back into, into legalism. Don't get lazy in your faith. So this is an encouraging book, really, for all of us, because there's a tendency with any of us, we can fall into legalism or laziness, and we can lose sight of, you know, the, the, the race and uh, lose sight of Jesus, who is better, superior, greater than anything and anyone. And, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is establishing here. And so far, we've talked about how he's greater than the prophets. In chapter 1, verse 1, he begins his letter by saying, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. 
at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, whom He appointed to be heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. And then He adds, just for clarification, so everybody understands, the Son, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. That is a just clear and distinct way of saying that Jesus is God. And so that's why he's better than the prophets, because the prophets would communicate the Word of God on behalf of God. Jesus is the Word of God. He's God in flesh. So that's how he's better than the prophets. We also talked about from chapters 1 and 2 how he's better than the angels. In chapter 114, the writer says, "...are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation?" Well, okay, that's wonderful. Angels are great. We should never worship them, but they have a specific role. They're ministering spirits to, to help uh, serve us who will inherit salvation. But Jesus is more than a ministering spirit. He is salvation, and so he's better than angels. Also, last week we looked into chapter 3, and Jesus is better than the prophet Moses, as good as the prophet Moses was. And this isn't to be disparaging towards him or the angels or the prophets. But Jesus is better than Moses. And in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read that Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house. But then in verse 6, the writer says, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. So when you think in terms of family versus a servant in the house, does the son have greater status or the servant? Well, of course, the son does. And so Jesus is greater than Moses, who was a faithful servant, but nevertheless not the same as being the son. And then we get here into chapter 4, and the writer is going to talk about how he's greater than Joshua. Now, he's following a theme here, because he's going from Moses to Joshua. Joshua was the successor to Moses. Moses was kind of the mentor for Joshua, and yet Moses finished his term as the leader for Israel, and God then took the rod of Moses and said it's now to be Joshua's that he would actually take the people into the promised land. And we're going to talk about that because uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to make that historical comparison to this theme between chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I mentioned to you last week is the theme rest. You're going to see here in chapter 4 as we begin to read this that the word rest appears twice in chapter 3, 11 times in chapter 4, a total of 13 times So 13 times between chapters 3 and 4, he's going to use this word rest. He's going to talk about the importance of rest. And so as we get into chapter 4 here, you'll notice a number of times, and I would encourage you, even if you have a pen or pencil handy or on your electronic device, you can highlight it. Just notice the number of times, just circle or underline every time the word rest is used. And so here we go in chapter 4, I'll start here in in verse 1, where he writes this, therefore... He's he's building on chapter 3, this whole concept of rest. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now, I'm just going to read down to verse 11. We'll come back and unpack all this. So verse 3, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. 
For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. And there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Okay, so there's a lot in here we need to clarify, talking about their disobedience. Who's the there he's referring to? He speaks in, in the beginning of the chapter of unbelief, and then all through this chapter he talks about the word rest. Now, not a trick question, but what is, if, when, when you survey all of chapter 4 here, what is the ultimate rest that the writer of Hebrews is speaking of? He's, he's speaking of the ultimate rest that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus. That's ultimately where he's going with all of this. He's, he's going to talk here about this ultimate rest that we find in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you'd expect me to say something like I'm about to say uh, as a pastor and even as, you know, even more importantly as a Christian. But the reality is, and, and there would be people who are non-Christians that would just totally disagree with what I'm about to say because they may not be aware of it. But the reality is that without a personal relationship with Jesus, people are restless in this world. They don't have the kind of measured peace and rest that we have who know Christ. They think they do, and they might find their, quote, rest in certain things, but ultimately that rest is fleeting, it is unfulfilling, it is not really satisfying. People in our culture and in our world today have a lack of rest where there is a lack of a relationship with Jesus, and therefore they have a lot of anxiety about a lot of things. We have more people on medication than ever. We have more alcoholics than ever trying to, you know, medicate or remedy their worry, their fears, their anxieties. And some of it can obviously be legitimate and, and need treatment. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody with anxiety is, is you know, just messed up. There can be people with legitimate anxieties and fears, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, we, we bring all of this, all of our messed up, anxious, fearful, broken lives to Jesus, and he does a wonderful, miraculous thing of mending our hearts and bringing us to a place of rest like nothing and no one else can offer. And people in this world without him don't know what they're missing uh, because the rest that they think that they have is no rest at all. They're worried, they're fearful, they're unsure of the future. And often people are afraid of dying too because they don't, they don't know the Lord and so therefore they don't have the rest that accompanies the Lord. The last number one song that the Beatles had in the United States was in 1970 and it was The Long and Winding Road. And uh, a lot of people think when they hear that song that it's about unrequited love. You know, it's a, it's, it's a love song about you know, some girl who didn't re respond in the same loving way that the guys, you know, sing in the song. And, but Paul McCartney actually set the record straight as to the meaning behind the song in a 1994 interview. 
He discussed its, its meaning in an interview, and he said this, quote, It's rather a sad song. He says, I like writing sad songs because you can actually acknowledge some deeper feelings of your own and put them in it. It's a good vehicle. It saves having to go to a psychiatrist. It's a sad song, listen to what he says, because it's all about the unattainable, the door you never quite reach. This is the road that you never get to the end of, end quote. So he's basically saying here that the song is about a long and winding road in in the sense that it's a bleak outlook on life with a lot of twists and turns that end up going nowhere. In In the middle of the song, the lyrics go like this, many times I've been alone and many times I've cried. Listen, this is the song of a lot of people, I'm telling you. Many times I've been alone, many times I've cried. He said, the song says, anyway, you'll never know the many ways I've tried and still they lead me back to the long and winding road. It reflects that road that a lot of people are on. Perhaps some of you find yourselves on that road even tonight. You, you feel like you're, you know, your life is a bunch of twists and turns. You're restless. It's a long road going nowhere fast. In 1976, Elvis Presley's last appearance at the Las Vegas Hilton, he went back to his room that night after his performance, and he took a little pad of paper from the hotel that they have there in the hotel rooms at the Las Vegas Hilton, and he scribbled a little prayer to God. And it was later discovered, after he left the room, he had crumpled up the note, threw it in the trash can. It was later discovered and kept by one of his handlers. And then at at Sotheby's, it was sold to Wayne Newton. And he bought it. He bought the note. And Wayne Newton then wrote a song in 1992 called The Letter. And I'm not going to read the song, but I'm going to read what the note was. This is what Elvis Presley scribbled after his last performance before he died. Quote, I feel so alone sometimes. The night is quiet for me. I'd love to be able to sleep. I am glad that everyone is gone now. I'll probably not rest. I have no need for all of this. Help me, Lord. End quote. And right there in the middle of that note, he says, I'll probably not rest. Now, perhaps he meant physical sleep, like he can't fall asleep, but I think that it describes some other emotional things that he was dealing with and perhaps spiritual things that are pretty similar to what a lot of people deal with, the sense of restlessness, the sense of not really having a a peace and a contentment because without the Lord, we don't have that. So the writer of Hebrews here is communicating to us that this kind of rest comes through this ultimate relationship with Christ, which is really what Jesus talked about. In Matthew chapter 11, you don't need to turn, very familiar passage in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, this is, this is his plea to the restless, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. You know, people with weighed down by the cares of this life and anxieties and troubles and worries, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And again, I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago when when we were in Jeremiah, that, that it's this agrarian language of being, you know, yoked like oxen together, that when we're harnessed with Jesus, that when we're linked with him, the road is so much better in the journey of life 
because he takes for us the burdens and he carries for us the cares and the worries and the anxieties of life that make life much more easier to live when we are harnessed to Jesus. And so he's using that language and he says, listen, if, you, if you'll just connect your life to mine, you will have a measure of rest like nothing else can provide for you. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Now, the writer of Hebrews is, is going to use some of their own Jewish history to illustrate the need for a greater rest. And he's going to refer here to lesser rests that people using his own Jewish history did not enter into because of two words he's going to use in chapter 3 and chapter 4, unbelief and disobedience. So he's going to talk about some lesser rests, and he's going to compare it to the greater rest of Christ. He's, and, but his point is, you better learn from our own history because there, there was some lesser kinds of rests that people could have enjoyed, but they didn't because of their disbelief, their, their unbelief and their disobedience. And likewise, because of potential unbelief and disobedience, you might miss the greater rest that comes in knowing Christ. So back up here now to the beginning of chapter 4, and notice with me, the first thing he talks about here is this history lesson about the wilderness wanderings. And he's going to refer to the fact that they, meaning their forefathers, their ancestors, and this is a carryover from chapter 3. In fact, if you, if you just glance back to chapter 3 for just a minute, go back to chapter 3 and look at verse 8. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, "...do not harden your hearts." as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and for 40 years saw what I did. Okay, so he's carrying over that theme into chapter 4. You can go back to chapter 4 now when he talks about how in verse 2, he says, for we also have, have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. So here's what he's saying, and, and it's a little tricky because it says, wait a minute, we had the gospel preached to us, they had the gospel preached to them. Well, in the sense that gospel means good news. Here's what God's good news was for the Hebrew people back in the days of Moses, 450 BC, 1450 B.C., when the Hebrew slaves were set free by the providential hand of God after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they were offered by God to go into the promised land, they rejected the good news because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience. So God wants to take them out of slavery to the promised land. We're talking about Israel. He wants to take them back to the homeland that he had given to them on oath to their forefathers. But along the way, they just began to complain against God, grumble against God. Uh, they were angry with God. They were upset with Moses. They didn't like their conditions. They didn't like the food. They didn't, they didn't like the whole, you know, choice of the water. All we have is water. We, you know, can't we have other choices besides, you know, water and manna and so that, you know, and quail. They're just, so they're griping, they're complaining, and they're criticizing, and they're murmuring. And God's like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And you could read the whole account in Numbers chapter 14. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But in Numbers chapter 14, Moses intervenes on behalf of the people because they're, they're, they're making God angry. Because of their ingratitude and, and, and they're murmuring and they're complaining. And Moses intervenes and he says, God, please don't kill him. Please don't kill him. This is going to make for a bad name for, uh, among the nations when everybody finds out you just killed the people. And so God basically, I'm paraphrasing, God basically says, okay, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. However, and this is important for us to understand, God can, still forgives, 
but we may still have to suffer consequences for our sinful choices. Some, some people don't like to acknowledge that other side of the coin. They're like, I thought I was forgiven. I thought every, everything that I did because of my sin should be erased when God erases my sins. Well, the reality is we reap what we sow, and when you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And so God forgives and God cleanses, and as far as God is concerned, he no longer holds those sins against us, and he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. But we may have to deal with some of the fallout because of our sinful choices. And that's no reflection on the lack of God's grace. That's just the reality of we, we sometimes reap what we sow. Now, not always. Sometimes God is so gracious that the consequences aren't felt either. But the reality is that sometimes that accompanies our sinful choices. So God says to Moses, I'll forgive the people, but they're not going into the promised land. I'll reserve that for their children and for Joshua and Caleb, the only two from that generation who believed God for his promises. So the writer of Hebrews is going to use this as the first example here in chapter 4. He says, don't miss out on Jesus because of unbelief or disobedience. Like the Hebrew people missed out on the promised land because of unbelief and disobedience. It was a lesser rest that God promised them. You'll have rest in the promised land. I mean, it was a lesser rest. Because when they got there, they still had enemies to fight and giants in the land. They still had some issues. It's an earthly rest. But at least it's better than slavery. It's a lesser rest than Christ, however. And so again, in this greater than, superior than comparison through the book of Hebrews, the writer here is saying the Jewish people missed out on a lesser rest. They didn't enter the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. Their bodies were scattered in the desert. Their children went into the promised land. But they missed out because of unbelief and disobedience. Don't miss out on the greater rest of Christ and having a relationship with him because of unbelief or disobedience. So that's the first thing that he talks about here. Then he mixes within this chapter. He's going to go back and forth. He's going to, he's going to talk about their history of disobedience in the wilderness. And then he's going to talk about the Sabbath rest. And he's going to come back and talk about the history with Joshua. Okay, But in the middle of this chapter, he talks about a rest in verse 3. Now, we who have believed, believed in Jesus, entered that rest, the greater rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, talking about the Hebrew slaves who were set free because they didn't believe they didn't enter his rest. Now, I love the next sentence here. Look at the rest of verse 3. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Verse 4, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. Now, I have that verse 4 underlined, and here's why. Because the writer of Hebrew, have you ever done this when you're like thinking to yourself, there's a verse somewhere in the Bible. It's somewhere in the Bible. I know it's in there. And it basically says this. That's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing here in chapter 4, in verse 4. He's like, somewhere... Somewhere in the scriptures, he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And he quotes Old Testament scripture. Your footnotes probably give it to you. It's Genesis 2-2, where God created for six days. This is the Genesis account. Seventh day, he rested. Okay? It's the Sabbath rest. So now he's giving a second example. He's like, you remember the promised land? Our forefathers could have entered a rest in the promised land. Unbelief, disobedience, they didn't, they didn't enter the rest. Now he uses another example. He says, remember when God created the heavens and the earth and animal kingdom and plant kingdom and mankind in six days? All of that creation, on the seventh day, he rested. He rested. Now he's going to make the case 
But here's another important rest for us, the Sabbath rest. The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace Him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.